Hi guys. I don't know if you missed us or anything, but it's been a few weeks, but we are back. We've got some exciting things to bring to you because we needed a switch up, I guess. I don't know. Every podcast that does true crime does it and they do it well, but you know, there's got to be some zhuzh to it. We're trying to add a little je ne sais quoi. We're trying to add a little zhuzh, a little je ne sais quoi. So we decided that we're going to, from here on out, theme our episodes. The um, seasons. We're going to do, yeah. So so this episode that we're giving to you today is a new theme called WTF Articles. And we're just going to kind of bring to you articles that make you say WTF. There's yeah. no better way to put it. And when you hear this episode, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So... <laughs> Going forward, if you ever read an article that made you say WTF, send it our way. We'd be happy to talk shit about it with you. And better yet, we'll turn on the microphone for it. Going forward, we're doing this, but we're also giving you our regular content. Our regular content is going to look a little different. From here on out, our seasons are going to be themed. Not going to tell you what it is, but you guys, I've been waiting to do this for a long time. We've got a lot of great episodes canned, and we're excited to jump back into it. So, without further ado, here's our episode. I'm Helen Allen. And I'm Sherry Ferreira. This is The Chalk Line. Good evening, everyone, and the highlights of the news this Thursday. So let's get right into it. The article in question is by Bridget Reed, and it was posted on Curb.com. It's titled, I've Seen Elise Calling for Daily Lap Dances. Now, initially, I got an Apple News notification for this oh, I story. Love those. Always uh, keeping me up to date. <laughs> and I, <laughs> me too, but like a lot of times I don't click on the individual stories because like I'm at work or something. This one, when I saw that, I was like, no, I need to, I need to look at yeah. this. You know, we're both paralegals, of course. I am working in real estate law, so it is interesting to me. Like, I was like, hold on a minute. This can't be allowed. Yeah. So that's what made me click on it. I mean, my initial thoughts were, like I said, WTF. Now, just some quick facts about this article that we're going to be going over. It's... Okay. So there's this guy. His name is Alan Rothstein. I say guy, but he is 81 years old. So maybe we should call him the elderly. Um, and he is being accused of making a woman sign. <laughs> well, I said guy. And I feel like that's normally associated I mean, with like, like, listen, this man is human garbage. So do him as dirty as you need to, you. Sherry. But... <laughs> Even though he is elderly, he is a guy. <laughs> so, so you did not have to do him like that, but also I okay, do not thank object. You. Okay, so this elderly man is being accused. <laughs> he's being accused of making a. Don't say it like it's such a bad thing either. No, everyone, like everyone gets, gets to, be to be elderly. elderly. I'm living for the days when I am also elderly. No. Call the plug before then. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, nobody no, put that in no, paper. No, I won't. <laughs> writing, 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 writing. Um, 
But Alan Rothstein is an 81-year-old man, and he's being accused of making a woman sign a document giving him consent for sex and other oral sex in order to lease a property. Yeah, but... Right. Can we talk about what the document is? The document the, is Yeah, the, the document lease. is the lease. Okay, so this article um, is under the category bad landlords, which I think <laughs> is really putting it lightly. Um, a bad landlord is like what I have, um, where like the door outside becomes broken and then they don't fix it for like a few hours or days. This is like an entirely different level of bad Um, landlord. And it concerns me that there's a category called bad landlord. Yeah, like I haven't I haven't officially looked into it yet, but this may be a segment in its own. We're gonna need to look (laughs) into that later. We'll definitely be looking into that. But this particular article um is called I've seen a lease calling for daily lap dances. Now I just don't even know how to get into this properly because (laughs) if I start from anywhere it's gonna sound like I'm on crack cocaine and like I forgot to tell you the beginning part of the story but this is the beginning the article starts off saying last week a bad landlord story to rule all bad landlords which I agree went viral on multiple news outlets She goes on to say, like, the content is appalling and creepy, and I have not been able to shake off the accompanying photos. And I'm sorry to everybody who looks at our social media because they won't be able to shake it off either. But I'm telling you, Sherry and I are some of the most dramatic bitches on the planet. Those are your words, Sherry. And I meant every single one of them. (laughs) Um, And I totally agree. Now, nothing we are about to say is wrong. No, it is actually all, like, if anything, I think we're going to just, like, under-dramatize how fucked this is. Nice. Thank nice you. try with Thank that you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, okay, the article goes like this. Alan Rothstein, who is a Las Vegas area broker, manager, and landlord, was being sued in federal court for including a sexual intercourse clause in his tenant's lease. So my initial thoughts are just like, well, wait a minute. How is that allowed? Well, here's the thing. It's not really. It's just kind of like every single problem in our country, essentially, is that a lot of these things are not allowed, but it's people that are preying on people that don't know it's not allowed or that know it's not allowed, but can't get help or don't have the resources to. Exactly. So... The particular tenant in question um, was a formerly sing- like homeless single mom of five children in Las Vegas, and she was using Section 8 housing, which is, you know, like assisted yeah. payments on your housing. And after she refused, oh my god, I hate that I even have to say this stuff. I don't like talking about like this. And listen, like, do you? You like talking about sex all the time? I don't. It makes me itchy. Stop. But finish. So after she refused to give her landlord a hand job, he added a stipulation in her lease that she was signing over quote direct consent for sexual intercourse and or fellatio or cunnilingus <laughs> for five years, as well as agreeing not to have a partner that was quote larger, meaner, and more physically aggressive than Rothstein, her landlord. 
he even had banned her from using quote intoxicants in a and then there was like a bizarre list of things and the article lays them out for me and i gotta say they are bizarre she's not allowed to use sea cucumber strawberries lobster dark chocolate cocaine and lsd and it's like yeah I get that. You don't want her to use cocaine. What the hell do you have against well, strawberries? Okay, so in the article, it says that she was banned from using these things. But when I looked at some other articles, it said that she signed this saying she wasn't under the influence of LSD, cannabis, and like a whole shit ton of other things. Or strawberries. Yeah, it was strawberries, lobster. Right. I have a whole oysters, truffles, sea cucumber. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? Like, you're psychotic. I just like don't. Why? Because those are aphrodisiacs. I don't know. I don't, I don't literally cannot even try to understand why she's not allowed to have strawberries in her home. That and like, <laughs> okay, that aside, that was a little shocking. But the fact that he had to put in there that she cannot have a boyfriend or girlfriend who is like bigger than he is or stronger than he is, like, oh. My brick. Just say you're a pussy. Right. Just say you're a pussy. It'd be It'd be easier. Quicker. Thank you. Thank you. So for a little background, this is all happening in November of 2018. And the mother of five children, who is the tenant that we're talking about, was homeless in August of 2018. So she had been homeless for a couple of months and living week to week at a residential hotel. Um, and this is all according to the lawsuit. Right. And not like just to you know really drive the point home it's clear that she is a person who is vulnerable you know what i mean like he's not doing this to people that have like phds and tons of resources and a lot of family members to be asking for help from he's doing it to people who have no, no other options. the article gets into it but it's like clear the power dynamic a b exploitation in this situation yeah. of her circumstance mm -hmm. and his you know, power over that. And also just manipulation in general. It's like all bubbled into yep. this story and it's just so angering, really. Um, mm -hmm. So she goes to this Rothstein guy who is the landlord thinking that this is going to be her saving grace, but turns out he's adding all this fucked up shit in the lease. The article then goes into like, what in God's name does this mean? So most of this article is actually a conversation that the person who wrote this article had with an attorney who kind of specializes in this kind of stuff and sees this kind of stuff all the time. Sherry, do you want to yes. explain? So her name is Cheryl Ring. And like you said, she's being interviewed. And so they ask her, like, how is this out of the ordinary? You know, is this like a one-off thing? And she's like, absolutely not, ma'am. This happens all the time. She's like, my first reaction was, what took them so long? Because I see this on a regular basis. Well, she would know because she works as a lawyer with low-income tenants and homeowners in the Chicago area. And she says, unfortunately, she predicts this behavior is only going to get worse. Like, this isn't a one-time stopping thing because of the current housing crisis. Like, it's just going to keep persisting. Right. She also goes on to say that some of the language he got in that lease with the can't be stronger than me and don't be under the influence of this, this, and that is boilerplate language that, like, you could essentially find a form or, like, a template online. Like, it's just that common. Right. That is another thing. So you are in a different position from me, but I, I rent right now and I have a lease. And a lot of people who 
do rent. I mean, I nobody reads their lease, I guess. I was I was told I was here for that, but I've like come through it. <laughs> I'm like, well, let me just make sure I'm not signing my life away. You should. More people should. Why isn't that normal? But I know, right? Like when I've said, I, who did I say that to like a week ago? And they were like, you read your lease? And I'm like, you did it? Wait a minute. <laughs> Is that weird? <laughs> I'm signing a document. That means I read it, bitch. I work in the law. Please. <laughs> But, like, reading my lease, I can see that there there are, like, statements that, you know, are, like, we call boilerplate language. It's just kind of everybody uses it in their leases. It, it's not specific to the association that you're leasing through or whatever. Um, and, you know, I think working in the legal field, also, you see all the time boilerplate language. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if your company is the same, but, like... If my company works with a document that we see is, like, valuable, we'll kind of, like, use the same – it's, like, you know what I mean? Like, you just kind of – everybody does the same thing because No, of course. It it's a standard that's applicable to every situation, which is why it's considered boilerplate language. Right. Now, Cheryl Ring goes on to say that even though, yes, if this is seeming, like, very illegal, it is very illegal, but most people either don't know it exists or the nature of the power dynamic, like – makes it irrelevant because that person's in need of a home. Yeah. Then the article goes into like, okay, well, is this just like in the lease, but like, that's it. And it's just like one of those funky things. that's like in the lease, but no one talks about, no one's following through with it. That's not the case. Landlords have sent text messages following up on these clauses in the leases and essentially threatening their tenants. It could be anything from quote, you want to keep living here, don't you? I have a case right now where the landlord Put in writing, this is what Cheryl says, in response to a request for repairs. What do I get out of it? And the tenant, trying to defend themselves, says, you get your rent. And the response to that was, well, what if I want more than that? Like, what do you, like, what? And the thing is, like, you and I can say, like, you tell him to fuck off if he wants more than that. But you and I are in a situation where we have other resources and we won't end up on the street with our children. People may question, like, well, why the hell doesn't she find somewhere else? But you have to understand the root of all of this is that, like, these landlords are not dumb. They're preying on the right people, unfortunately, as it is to say. And I also think it's just easier for a lot of people to turn their back and say, well, why don't you just say no? Why don't you just walk away than point the finger at the person who's actually doing all this, who has the audacity to do all this and hold him accountable? I think right. that's just the easier way out than actually confronting some of the real issues here. Right. And on top of that, a lot of people are in the dark about their rights and whether or not this stuff actually is allowed. Right. The Fair Housing Act actually explicitly says that quid pro quo sexual harassment is illegal. But a lot of people don't even know that the Fair Housing Act exists. So the problem is the fact that the landlords know what they're doing is wrong, but they also know that their tenants don't know that. So they can just keep getting away with it. This is just something that overwhelmingly impacts women of color and that's honestly, it just comes down to the point that women of color are way more likely to rent than white women are. Statistically, you know, more white women own houses than women of color. And so overwhelmingly, the numbers are you don't expect this to happen to a white woman. 
there is also they go on to say like the the interviewer asks the question since the landlords who sexually harass tenants know that they're breaking the law do they cross the line in other ways and my answer is yeah of course it goes without saying if they're willing to write that down (laughs) they're willing to do anything you know what i mean like i did we need to ask that question (laughs) my my thing is i always watch how people behave when people are watching them. Yes. You know what I mean? You can tell a lot about a person by how they behave when people are watching them. If somebody is willing to write down something barbaric, they are way, way more barbaric behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. So if this is how far a landlord is willing to go on paper, I don't even want to consider how far they're willing to go behind closed doors. Right. So here's another thing. Then Cheryl, the attorney, goes into like, well... I mean, there is, of course, like a direct connection between this clause in the leases and how the other tenant protection laws go into play. A lot of landlords could withhold security deposits if you're not following through with the things that you said you would be following through with in your leases. Well, these landlords don't care because, I mean, what do they have to lose? These guys are freaks. It becomes this like... I was reading through this same section. It goes through this sort of cycle, which is what I realized. They will Mm -hmm. up the amount of the security deposit and almost hold it as leverage. So even if they wanted to leave, they can't. They're stuck. Even after they realize, oh, shit, maybe like I I could find whatever, but they're stuck there. Right. Because these tenants are maybe refusing this clause in their lease, the landlords say like, okay, you could leave, but I have your security deposit. And for some people, that could be like $2,000. Or, you know, even if it's $800, it may be the money that that person needs to be able to move. And so when the landlord makes it so that that person cannot get their deposit back, they're basically being held captive. Like you were saying, the incredibly large security deposits. Well, just the same as the illegal clause in their lease, these people aren't questioning that. They're just like, okay, yeah, it's a huge security deposit, but it's somebody that's letting me in to have a roof on my head. Like, you know what I mean? They They don't have the ability to be able to question that. They're just like, okay, this is what I'm able to do. I have to do it, I guess. And I don't think anyone can really begin to like say what oh I would do this or I would do that unless you are in that situation I think it's naive and dumb to just come out and be like well I would have done I would have done anything but that like pipe the fuck down Mm -hmm. then the article goes on to talk about like well okay do you see because Cheryl says that she has represented thousands oh yeah she's got experience who have this situation and she's like I think she says at one point in the article well every time I hear of a tenant that is being treated like this by the landlord, I can assume that there's hundreds of others that got treated by this landlord the same way. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. she's like, yeah, there's definitely, like, it's almost like, how do you even fight this when you're one person? Right. But she's a badass and she's doing it. The next thing that they kind of touch on is, you know, the, the discrimination and the The correlation, I guess, between landlords who are sexually coercing their tenants and those who are being discriminated against because they use, like, federal programs like housing vouchers and whatnot. Like, we know the tenant in Las Vegas that we were talking about was using a housing voucher. Now, Las Vegas is, like, a major city, of course. And in a lot of major cities, landlords are kind of 
able to like run amok. They're kind of able to do whatever the hell they want because there's really not a lot of tenant protections in bigger cities. We do have a constitutional ban on rent control, but there's really no like rent control. I I guess there's no income discrimination rent control thing. So essentially it's like, yeah, there's a constitutional ban on rent control, but it, it doesn't really benefit anybody that has low income or not specifically at least. So people with housing vouchers end up having nowhere to go. They have a lot less options than people who have a higher income. And obviously, you know, that's like, uh, of course, because people with higher incomes are able to shop around and people with housing vouchers are told where they can use their housing vouchers. I was going to say, I'm not sure if this is across the board for all housing vouchers, but I do recall and have it in my notes that this woman, um, the tenant that we're talking about, her voucher was good for 60 to 90 days. So that's just another added layer. If they, if she doesn't use this like saving grace card, she's not going to, she can't, she'll have to apply again. I don't know the process that goes into it, but she is that. Right. So I think, I think you're right. I think essentially it would be that she has to apply again. And if anybody was living through 2020, you know what hell it is to get help from the government. You know, when people are calling the IRS and they're on hold for four hours straight before being hung up on by somebody rude. <laughs> who are we like, talking about here? Do you, who are we talking about here? Speaking Helen, speaking. Who are we talking about here? <laughs> it's just me and you. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't me. Um, <laughs> who are we talking about? <laughs> I'm like really mad at the IRS at all times. Um, but, yeah. but do you know what I mean? So like, I cannot imagine that that, application um, process is smooth. I can't imagine that it's like, oh, she gets on the phone with somebody and then minutes later she's filling out the application and good to go. I bet it's like, yeah, for another like going through hell and 60 or 90 days or so. So at the end of the day, yeah, like you were saying, she's going to want to rush to find somewhere. And of course, when you're rushing to find somewhere, you're not always going to pick the best place because you don't have the, the ability to pick the best place. And so another thing is that not everywhere, like I said, accepts housing vouchers. Right. So you're not going to go to the really nice apartment complex and see, oh, good, they accept my housing vouchers. You kind of have to go to, unfortunately to say, the like shadier spots. So that really bad guy who might hold you accountable for sexual intercourse. No, I hate the title. I'm so glad you read it because I could not have. I could not have. (laughs) It was gross. So that landlord becomes the only landlord that they're able to use. And, you know, Cheryl says, like, I can't tell you which ones, but I have had people tell me from multiple housing voucher associations, quote, we would love to not do business with this guy. We have no choice. All of our clients would be homeless. So it's it's a systemic issue that is not going away anytime soon because they don't have the manpower to make it go away. We don't have enough landlords in the country that are happy to provide services for um, housing voucher associations, but that are also good people. I'm getting heated. <laughs> then... I know. I, I like have to take a break every once in a while because I'm like, I don't know what else to... I, I'm mad at everything. And then the article goes on to say, like, well, what about tenants who do take their landlords okay, to court? This piece, 
Okay, so go this off, is Sherry. a piece right here for all you people who are like, well, I still would have done this. I still wanted this. Get a load of this shit. All right. So for the tenant, this is what really had me reeling. Like after I read that, I was like, oh, no, no, no. We got to talk about this because it truly it blows my mind. Okay, so for the tenants who actually do take these cases to court, for those of you out there like, oh, just take it to court. Well, for those who actually do take it to court for sexual harassment may face the option of not having the right to counsel in an eviction court. So unless they can find someone like Cheryl who will do it at a low cost, these tenants go in with no representation and and most often than not, the judges don't even pay attention to it. There is one situation where Cheryl said that she personally witnessed a tenant say, he's kicking me out because I wouldn't sleep with him. He's kicking me out because my daughter wouldn't sleep with him. And then the landlord admitted it and bragged about it and won the case anyway. There was one judge who had since retired, but who held a tenant in contempt because he threatened to punch the landlord after the landlord said that he was evicting them because the tenant's daughter wouldn't sleep with him. I'm sorry. What? If I were the judge, I'd be like, hold on a minute. You have to say that again. One more time. Say it to me one more time. Say it to my face. Come Approach here. the bench. Come, here. Come right up here. No, no, no. Come closer. Closer closer no i won't hit you no i swear no i'm not gonna hit you say it again say it closer to my face i just want to hear what you just fucking said i'm sorry you said what out of my courtroom i'll get out i'll talk to you tomorrow i need a minute no Mm-mm. not on my watch we're not talking about that casually in my courtroom absolutely not you know what? Actually, just get in the squad car out back. We're just escorting you straight to prison. I don't care. I don't care what the law says. You're going right to prison and you're never seeing the light of day again, brother. That's what I would say to him. God, if I were in the freaking judicial You're system. out of here, brother. <laughs> Pack it up. Pack it up. You're going to prison. No, but that's the reaction you'd want. That's the energy you'd want as a judge who's there to preside over the case and do what's right give justice but he signed the eviction order and he apologized to the landlord oh god that one you can't do that so you guys sherry got a dog <laughs> i just got a dog and i'm very allergic to dogs before I even had a dog. Sherry was just allergic to my carpet. And I'll tell you what, Matt and I are, we keep our home clean, do you we do. not? You do. We vacuum like yes. every day. It's very, it's a clean, clean home. And Sherry was allergic to- Just the carpet, yeah. My, just the, the, carpet. the carpet in my room. <laughs> um, And then I got a dog and she's hypoallergenic and doesn't shed. And Sherry wa- <laughs> wants to be loved by her and love yes. her. Just, I'm needy. I'm needy. And it's fine. One of the last things that the article touches on is that this is way bigger in the age of COVID. Yes. It was definitely not unheard of before COVID. But during COVID, you know, a lot of people were pushed out of the situations that they were in. And of course, not in a in a extremely malicious way, but the landlords needed money and the tenants weren't able to pay. And so a lot of people needed to apply for government services. So now they have less places to go because like I said, you know, if you have a housing voucher, it's not always going to be able to be used everywhere. 
Now, with this environment, the current environment that we're seeing is a lot of private investors buying up single family homes. Now, this makes it a lot harder because tenants who are using apartment buildings have the ability to unionize. But with these single family homes that are being bought by private investors and then they're renting those out, it's not plausible. And every single one of those cases now that Cheryl has been talking about is with a landlord who has multiple buildings miles away from each other. So these tenants aren't able to like go to their neighbor and be like, is this happening to you too? Landlords who have this like more scattered housing situation are able to do this a lot more because it's harder for the tenants to organize and it's harder for the tenants to catch the bad behavior of the landlords. And then, like you said, the article finishes up with Cheryl saying, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Because this is a daily occurrence for people. That is what really got to me. She says, this is something where it's a daily occurrence for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people every day. There's this idea that with a bad landlord, you can report them. But if you look at what actually happens, these landlords put tenants in an impossible situation and then they get away with it. I'll put it this way. I have represented hundreds and thousands of tenants. I've never had a case where my client was the first one this landlord did it to. And I think that's what this article really does beautifully is that it gets it at every angle. Like, yeah, it's not just the system. It's just not that person's specific like circumstance or situation. It's a whole like cycle, you know, like it's more than that. There's so many other factors that go into this. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the tenants not having enough protections. It's the landlords having too much power. It's, you know, the tenants not having resources. It's the housing vouchers associations that are not able to provide better housing because, you know, not enough people are signing up to be those landlords that have that. And the people that are they don't always have great intentions. It's not all, always about, oh, let me um, get... Let me get... Me, a- I don't know where I was going with this. I'm so mad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I have some fine, like final facts and points about the case that we were talking about, specifically with um, the 81-year-old landlord and the tenant who was the mother of five children. As a result of this investigation, it is still ongoing, by the way, the Nevada Real Estate Division revoked Rothstein's real estate broker and property management license. Small win. The state investigators also found during the investigation that he listed a fake address for his brokerage firm, and the address he provided was instead for an auto parts store. Ooh, is that a federal crime? I I hope to God it is. I think it is. Because you can't lie on a license like that. I think it is, too. Well, and also, like, so I sometimes at work, I do, like, LLC formations, and when I'm doing them, like, I have to check off a box that says, like, I'm aware that if I'm lying about this stuff, I could be prosecuted. Prosecute his ass? I hope the rules still apply. Get him. Yeah, like, I hope it's a federal thing, like, across the board. They also found that Rothstein repeatedly made unwanted sexual advances when he had the tenant come to his home from where he actually conducted his business to sign documents. He's a creep. Now- Rothstein was fined $94,000 for the violations, but the bench trial is set to continue on October 3rd. So I'm going to do my best to follow up with this because I am so incredibly involved now, just emotionally. 
Um, yeah, we will yeah. absolutely be following now, up on okay, this. Okay, one thing that really did get me, it was this um, article I found where Andrew Wyzalewski. That's a good one. Yeah. He is, the eternally, he is the attorney for Rothstein, so he's representing Rothstein. And he says <clears throat> that he's approximately, like, 80 years old, and he's experiencing cognitive issues, like, trying to play this whole, oh, he wasn't aware of what he was doing. He's 80 years old, and he received death threats. Kick rocks. I do not care. <laughs> not one bit. You are cognitive enough? Like... But you had the sound of mind to go online, find the standard form, print it out, and hand it to someone with a pen and paper and say, here, sign this. No, wait, actually come to my apartment and sign this. You know what the fuck you're doing. Not only that, it's like, bitch, if you're 80 and tired and your cognitive abilities are declining, retire. It's not my problem. (laughs) Get rid of your job then and lay down on a beach somewhere like a normal person. Right, go to Florida. I hear that's where people go. In court records, now you wrote this in your notes. In court records, Rothstein said he made her sign the contract to protect himself. Yes! Oh! From who? From whom? From who? From who? The vulnerable woman with five kids who's gonna get that big scary boyfriend of hers to feed you strawberries? <laughs> Fuck you. Thanks for listening. You can catch us at inst- what the butt? <laughs> what the butt? <laughs> what the butt? <laughs> What the butt? What the butt? Thanks for listening. You can catch us on Instagram at the Chalkline Pod, Twitter at the Chalkline Pod, and follow along with our YouTube channel. The link is in our Instagram bio. Tune in next Thursday for another story.